Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. 2016, October. In a world where ducks fear to quack, where truth is sitting in a darkened room saying ow after being clouted repeatedly on the head with the icy fossilized mammoth wang of political manipulation, where nothing is what it seems, and what it seems is not what it seems in any case, and even if it were what it seems, no one would believe it, it was what it seems and would assume it was not what it seems, or at very best, that it's only what it seems because it, I think the point's been made where history is sitting up in its office saying, A, slow the f down, people. I haven't finished writing the last thing up. And B, what the f is going on in that world? Only one thing can possibly save humanity from itself, and that thing is everyone growing up. Now, that's a bit of a long shot, so instead you'll have to make do with... Yes, hello Buglers, and I really mean it this time, and to prove it, I will say it again. Hello Buglers, the world's leading and only audio newspaper for a visual world, is back for season four after the 272 episode season one, the 21 episode season two, and the somewhat abortive one episode long season three. This is season four, which, if all goes according to plan, will be at least... 10,000 episodes long, which will take us to the year roughly 2266, which is when I want to stop because that was my uh, grandparents' phone number when I was a kid. Double two, double six seems an inappropriate endpoint. Phase two is upon us, Buglers, and we are now part of the Radiotopia network. Everyone say hello to Radiotopia. Good. And this is episode, uh, I'm going to call it 4001. Um, it is a <laughs> bit of a jump from uh, 294, uh, but you know. There you go. And I'm delighted to say that, joining me for this truly epoch-defining moment in the history of podcasting, of comedy, of media, of showbiz, of human communication, of civilization, of the entire Homo sapiens brand as a whole. Have I missed anything? Here in New York City with me now is Hari Kondabolu. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. It's great to have you on the show, Hari. And not only that, but it is your birthday today. I mean, yeah. This has to be the greatest birthday present you have ever received. Yeah, yeah, and and if things go the way I hope, this will be my last birthday. <laughs> wow, that would that would I mean that would probably boost ratings. That's one way of doing it. I mean, is there a way to to get rid of your birthday without dying? Oh, I don't know. Like a way to skip it? I mean, if you have a leap year, it seems pretty great because then, oh, I missed it again this year. It just feels like as you get older, the birthday is not a, a happy occasion. Well, it, how how old are you today, Holly? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm forty-two, mate. Oh, you don't look you a day over forty-one. Yeah, what, that cheers, buddy. Um, <laughs> third, thirty-four. I mean, that's. Is that yeah, is that? Ex- are you still are you still in school? Or what? No, no, right. I'm a professional stand-up comedian. Oh, okay, All right. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, wait, did 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 you know what I did or did? <laughs> Not really. No, I just like the name. <laughs> a well-chosen stage name, <laughs> Hari Kondabolu. Yeah. Ah, oh, well, it's proven effective then. Yep. So, uh, well, this is uh, the Bugle four thousand and one for the week beginning Monday, the twenty fourth of October, twenty sixteen. And to prove I'm not lying about the date, here is today's newspaper. There you go. Uh, but we are, in fact, recording this on Friday the 21st of October, so I did have to cheat a bit uh, on that one. Uh, in fact, I broke into the New York Times offices and ran off 20, uh, 200,000 copies of a newspaper based on what I guess will be in the news. Uh, so basically, to sum it up, yep, he's still a <laughs> They're still <laughs> Those lot are still acting like 
and a lot of sport. So I don't think I'll be far off. The 24th of October, uh, I mean, you're not the only person with a birthday around this time, uh, time of year. Uh, in 1901, Anne Edson Taylor, on the 24th of October, became the very first person to go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. And that was on her, I think, 63rd birthday. Um, oh, that's great, because that's at an age where you're like, well, if things don't work out, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's been pretty good. Had a good innings. It was a good run. Um, but I mean, that was very much the moon landings of its time, I would say. The first person to <laughs> go over the Niagara Falls. One giant plummet for woman, one small splash for mankind. Um, and 28 years later, to the day, October the 24th, 1929, the New York Stock Exchange paid tribute to Anne Edson Taylor by doing basically exactly the same thing with the global economy. That was uh, Black Thursday, leading to uh, an absolute uh, decade of shit for the world economically. Um, and in 2008, Bloody Friday saw the world's stock markets plummet by 10% in a day. So it's good to see, Harry, that as a species, we are not afraid to learn the lessons of history and repeat basically exactly the same mistake on exactly the same day. <laughs> Has, do people do that regularly now? You know, because, you know, uh, running like a four-minute mile at one point was an achievement, and now, like, people are, you know, easily doing that. Kids in high school do that, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, you did it on the way here, didn't you? Oh, you yeah, yeah, I sprinted. it up, I spr- up Broadway. Yeah, absolutely. I t- I, I, that's why I'm so out of breath right now. <laughs> you know, the standards of a certain time usually get uh, passed and you kind of find it ridiculous that, oh, I can't believe a four-minute mile was a difficult thing to do uh, if you if one was in good shape and not a comedian. <laughs> but <laughs> that being said, are people doing that on the regular? Is that like a, you get your barrel at the Niagara Falls and just go for it at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's been devalued really, hasn't it? Right. Just, you know, everybody's, everybody's plummeting over massive waterfalls and barrels these days, aren't they? Yeah, they probably... Probably have like something that says you must be this tall to you know get into a barrel and jump potentially to your death at the Niagara Falls. <laughs> but at least you know it's 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 a regular thing. Yeah, although I mean with the moon landings that kind of tailed off, didn't it? I mean they were you know, it was all the rage for about five years and then everyone got bored of it. And, uh, well, yeah, I mean unless the studio in Texas just shut down. And that's it. what I was there about. Go. There we go. <laughs> I wasn't sure what kind of show this was exactly, and I'm glad it's the kind of show I can contribute. Yeah, we to. get to the very heart of truth. <laughs> The dark (laughs) kernels of truth. On the 21st of October is another anniversary. 1854, Florence Nightingale and 38 nurses were dispatched to the Crimean War. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. (laughs) Did did you pull that one up from uh, memory? Oh, yeah, I know all these things, sorry. (laughs) I don't even have the internet at home. It's just all, all in there. Now, as always, the section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, and in fact, this week, to commemorate our, our return to the virtual airwaves, since we're in America, we have a free pumpkin spice sonic underlay for you to play under everything you say and do between now and probably the end of November. Pumpkin spice is everywhere in this country. Wait, so is this not a big thing in, uh, uh, it's in the UK? Qu- well, not a massive thing, not as big as it is here. Well, what do you have in, in so like like current spice? Oh, we just drink coffee and tea as the way it's supposed to be drunk. You don't put like a sugary liquid that doesn't even taste like the thing it claims to taste like? Well, I don't, certainly, and I don't think anyone else should either. Look, I'll be honest with you. I, I do not like uh, Starbucks. I do not... Is this, uh, is this sponsored by Starbucks? Not anyway? yet, no, and probably never will be oh, now good, you've done good. that, but... Um, okay, but don't well, worry, when we did the pilot episode, <laughs> for the very before even the very first Google... Uh-huh. Uh, when we were funded by Times Online, uh, Mr. John Oliver, 
uh, late of this parish. Rest who's, in peace. Who's, uh, <laughs> who's, uh, who's uh, sadly had to retire because uh, things aren't going too well for him and he's got to get a proper nine-to-five job. Um, he uh, he spent most of the pilot episode slagging off Rupert Murdoch. Um, uh-huh. Whilst two senior Times executives were <laughs> sitting through um, soundproof glass on the other side listening on headphones. So, you know, slag off Starbucks. Why not? Look, I have a pumpkin spice candle in my home. You disappoint me. And I didn't buy it, but I would have. Right. And I I see nothing wrong with the scent of uh, artificial sweetener and fake pumpkin. Right. I I feel like, I really do feel like an American. You burn the pumpkin spice latte, because that's what Americans drink, and you watch some football, American football. Right. And, uh, you know... uh, Masturbate. <laughs> that is a very. That's how Americans do things. Whatever takes your mind off <laughs> off the election. Um, <laughs> but, or, uh, you've been hanging out with Donald Trump too much. <laughs> um, um, so anyway, as promised, this is your pumpkin spice underlay uh, that you can just 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 put it on a loop and play it with a portable speaker. It's large and orange and is cooked with sweet spices such as you might find in an Indian hot drink. It's large and orange and is cooked with sweet spices such as you might find in an Indian hot drink. It's large and orange and is cooked with sweet spices such as you might find in an Indian hot drink. Top story this week, and indeed this year. Uh, Democracy continues to take the mother-in-law of all kickings, uh, particularly here in America. Just a few short weeks now to go until it is thankfully all over, until the next election cycle begins about 30 seconds after this one finishes on uh, November the, uh, the 8th stroke 9th, when the result will become clear I guess the message America has sent to the world, Hari, this year is basically, ancient Greece, are you happy now? Look at what miseries you have bestowed on us, you philosophy-loving lunatics. (laughs) Um, I'm embarrassed. Right. I don't know. uh, I feel like I've written jokes, lots of jokes. I think I've said this previously, but it makes me feel like Nero. Yeah. I'm watching everything uh, burn around me, but I don't care. I'm telling jokes. I'm making people laugh. And on the inside, I'm saying goodbye to everything I love and every person I love. <laughs> that, 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 well, that's pretty extreme. Do you know, when I was in Chicago on this tour, the mm-hmm. Chicago Tribune endorsed Gary Johnson as their preferred, which is basically like endorsing a potato. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the fact that the potato has a slightly firmer grasp on international politics and diplomacy. Yeah, like there are potatoes that are like, Aleppo, how do you not know Aleppo? <laughs> Please. After this, this last, this last debate, is Trump? Is he done? Is I mean, his goose. Surely his goose is baked, as they say. <laughs> um, well, you must admit he had a very strong showing for him relative to him in this last debate. Right. Uh, one, he interrupted Hillary Clinton at a much better rate. Right. From once every 22 seconds to once every 44 seconds. That is a vast improvement, <laughs> right? That's one. Secondly, he made a very interesting strategic decision to not stalk Hillary Clinton like he did in the last debate where he stood behind her and stared. And I think that has to do with both him being advised not to... 
and also being told that he had to stay behind the podium. But considering he's getting all this uh, heat uh, for, uh, you know, potentially uh, sexually assaulting many women, probably a smart strategic move not to stalk the female candidate that's running against you. Right. I mean, because I mean, there was I mean, there must have been some fear that he might just at some point, you know, reach out and and, and grab Mrs. Clinton by the um, um, <laughs> I forget what the the technical term is. I was slightly disappointed that he did not, you know, grab the moderator by the balls just to prove that he's not sexist. <laughs> he he got into a fight with the moderator, which I've I have never seen. He started debating the moderator, and I think had to be reminded that it it wasn't well because he had been holding it in. Relative to him, he'd been holding it in, and as soon as he found an opening to start swinging, he just went after the first person that was in front of him. And I felt bad for Chris Wallace, uh, the the moderator, who is the legendary uh, uh, journalist Mike Wallace's uh, disappointing son, <laughs> <laughs> who works for Fox News. Um, and he was in this interesting place between wanting to do the Fox News thing of hurting Hillary Clinton, asking her ridiculous questions that were trapping her, like uh, attempting to trap her, like her thoughts on partial birth abortion, which is a conservative term, you know, finding ways to to trap her. But he was, his desire to ambush Hillary Clinton was, was uh, unfortunately countered by his clear hatred for Donald Trump. <laughs> his idiocy, his lack of decorum, like he just was forced to like, there were moments where you could just see him just shaking his head. Uh, just frustrated to no end, and it, it kind of—I think it ruined the debate for him. The abortion thing was kind of interesting because uh, Trump said said this based on what Hillary is saying and based on where she's going and where she's been. You can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb in the ninth month on the final day, and that is not acceptable. Now, sure, I mean that basically that's not that's, that's not acceptable. Were that to be something that ever happened. Yeah. Also, that's actually ba- largely how my daughter was born. <laughs> she, she was born towards the end, at the end of the ninth month, and she was not so much ripped up, but she was hauled out with a Von Tues, which is like a suction pump on the top of her head. And essentially, the, the medical team form a tug-of-war squad and just pull the baby out. So basically, he was saying that that form of birth is not... Ex- he wanted my, my daughter... Not to have been born, essentially. That is what he was saying. That, to me, is not acceptable. So you're saying this man confused birth and abortion. It did appear that way. Uh, It feels like Donald Trump assumes that no one can Google anything. (laughs) (laughs) He would have been so good in the mid-19th century. If he'd been up against Abraham Lincoln (laughs) for the Republican nomination, that would have been been a battle we'd have all paid to see. But, I mean, obviously that's not at all what Hillary Clinton had been saying, nor, as I said, what basically ever happens. Trump complaining about babies being needlessly ripped out of wombs at the very end of pregnancy is a bit like him complaining that it's legal for unicorns to shit into people's coffins at funerals if the deceased person ever sang a hymn or did line dancing, and that the Democrats and Hillary are doing nothing to stop that. If anything, they're plying unicorns with dried apricots and ropey curries to help out the process. He might as well complain about that. If he's going to live in this fictional land, at least make it more entertaining than going into the the 
the, the harrowing practicalities of what he might as well complain that the equal marriage lobby wants to force all happily married old men to divorce their wives and marry a sexually intimidating hunk called Ivan from Belarus. He might as well, I think I've made the point, no, there's still one more. He might as well suggest that the pro-choice movement wants to have the legal right to fire a medieval crossbow at the rotund belly of egg, every pregnant woman in America. He, he should take his delusion to its logical conclusion. You expect him to be that articulate and knowledgeable <laughs> when he's proven that he is not capable of doing that. He makes me miss George W. Bush in the strangest wow. way. I know. Oh, it, man. I it, can't it, believe anyone has said that sentence. Not the whole. I mean, that's where we're at. George W. Bush got things wrong. But he tried the big words. <laughs> he attempted the hard, big government phrases. He tried to remember what people told him right before he got to the press conference. Make sure you say this. Okay, I'll try. He, Donald Trump's not even trying. He's just a bully. He doesn't have. He he doesn't even have the humility to be like, I don't know that word. Right. Tell me what that word means, or teach me another word other than bigly, <laughs> which he repeated. Several times right. during the course. I mean, this was debate. one of the big controversies of the whole campaign, Harry. Was he saying bigly? Was he saying big league? Right. Was it? Was he alternating between the two? Was he? Was he playing with our very perception of language and its possibilities? <laughs> I think he was doing both to distract people from all the other things he was saying. That's like a, right. that little Easter egg he left in there. That kind of like, huh? I'm obsessed with that. Is it Bigly or Bigly? I mean, I I tweeted that he had said Bigly, and then a lot of people who are Trump people tweeted that uh, he said Bigly, and at the end of it, I realized none of it mattered. Because <laughs> <laughs> Bigly technically, I think, is a word according to the internet, but I don't. Right. It's just that's it's, everything's a word every, according to the internet. Yeah, it's like, do you really want to play Scrabble that way? Just put random words out there, and do you know, out of all the all the. Yeah. All the implications of the Trump campaign yeah. on for the future of politics, the future of democracy, <laughs> the future of humanity. The impacts on the Scrabble world are something mm-hmm. that very few people have commented on, and I, I thank you for raising awareness of that. <laughs> he is linguistically fascinating, Trump. He appears <laughs> never to finish a sentence or really clarify exactly what he means, which I guess in some ways is in the great tradition of American politics. For example, this sentence, which appeared never to be finished or clarified, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I mean, that... We are, if only yeah, I mean, this is Trump. This is this is Trump's legacy. That kind of confusing sentence that leads to people arguing about it for hundreds of years. I mean, he's re- I, oh, Andy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also he, his tactic isn't so much the content of what he's saying; it's just repeating the same things over and over again. And initially, it's funny. You know, as a comedian, you know how this works. Yep. Initially, it's funny, and then it stops being funny. And most comedians at that point stop repeating. Right. See, I've had gigs where it didn't have the initial funny bit at the start. It just stopped being funny and then uh, remained not that's funny. That's a different tactic. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but he, uh, Donald Trump, uh, as with the great comedian Stuart Lee, has decided to repeat the same things over and over again for several months until it becomes funny once again. <laughs> it's a tactic that's only really been achieved by Stuart Lee, and I find it fascinating that Donald Trump has decided to bring this tactic 
to a presidential election. Are you claiming that Stuart Lee has been secretly working for the Trump campaign as head speechwriter? What I'm saying is that uh, Stuart Lee's tactics and approaches to comedy are very dangerous when put into the wrong hands. (laughs) It's amazing that the word great has lasted so long (laughs) without any real damage being done to it. And this human being shows up after so many years and destroys such a basic word like great. Every time Donald Trump says great, I think Tony the Tiger dies a little. (laughs) (laughs) They're good. Another hidden victim of this whole story. (laughs) Scrabble, Tony the Tiger. The old uh, saying, you know, if you throw enough shit at a wall, some of it will stick. And that appears to be the tactic with... Uh, is, that a, is that a saying? It is a saying. In, in which country? Uh, well, certainly in, 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 in my head. In, uh, <laughs> I'm like, is this a country where English is a second language? Chris, Chris, <laughs> Chris in London, back in the home of civilization. Yes. Uh, you'd say that. That is a saying, isn't it? If you throw enough shit at a wall, some of it will stick. Yeah, that, that's how I got my GCSEs at school, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but the most terrifying thing, Hari, I found is that Trump is not out of it yet. I checked the odds this morning on a, on a bookmaker's site, 4 to 1 or 5 to 1. So they still think he's got a kind of 16, 20% chance of winning. That is a shorter odds than the Conservatives to get a majority in the 2015 British general election. Shorter odds than Brexit on the day of Brexit. And the even more terrifying thing than that most terrifying thing is that what that shows is that all Trump needed to do to be in with a real shot was to be very, very slightly less of a <laughs> That's all he needed to do. If he'd been slightly less <laughs> slightly less misogynist, slightly less xenophobic, racist, intolerant, delusional, mendacious, or mili- manipulative, he would be basically getting ready to play keepy-uppy with the nuclear football. <laughs> keepy-uppy. Uh, there was a charity dinner last night, as we record here on Friday, the Al Smith charity dinner, um, and uh, Trump managed to get booed at a charity dinner. That is a... <laughs> I mean, I've been booed in a number of places, Hari, and uh, but to do it at a charity... I mean, there's a, the thing is, he really laid into Clinton. And Clinton had some kind of barbs at, at Trump, but, you know, in a slightly less uh, misanthropic way. I guess there's a time and a place for slagging off your political opponents. And during a presidential campaign, that time and place is basically any time and anywhere, apart from at a f***ing charity dinner. Nothing says, I care about needy children more than slagging off your opponent and saying things like she's just here because she's pretending not to hate Catholics. Uh, He was booed by priests, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) They would not forgive him for his sins, Andy. Uh, Hillary Clinton has just uh, another breaking news story uh, has admitted sending emails she shouldn't have sent including one uh, in which she claimed to be a Nigerian widow <laughs> uh, offering herself 300 million dollars which she took for the Clinton Foundation so that'll run and run I have one gripe one major gripe about the last debate regarding Hillary Clinton yeah um, and it is that she was trying to make a point about Syrian refugees and uh, all the things that Donald Trump has said about them you know being potential terrorists and, uh, you know, the idea that we're just letting terrorists into the country. And initially she said, talked about, you know, there, there are vetting procedures and all that. But the next thing she said was that the, one of the acts of terrorism that has happened recently, the person wasn't a, re- wasn't a refugee. He was from Queens. Now, that upsets me 
first of all, because I'm from Queens. <laughs> and I don't like the fact she threw Queens under the bus. Right. Uh, but also, it is a bit strange that she said he's from Queens. She made sure to highlight that Queens, uh, the most diverse place in the U.S., where there are many immigrants and refugees. So maybe not the best place to throw <laughs> under the bus in the context of trying to protect immigrants and refugees. She seems to be an extraordinarily divisive figure that uh, it's quite hard for outsiders to understand. And it's been quite an, an incredible achievement of hers, really, to make this this presidential race as, as close as it has been for much of it, given who, sh- who she's up against. And um, that thing she said about uh, politics being like a sausage, uh, that um, in one of those speeches, uh, those private speeches that was uh, filmed and, and leaked, um, she said, uh, claimed she was quoting uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think, or from the or at least from the Lincoln film. Politics is like a sausage. Uh, it's unsaving. It's always been that way. Uh, but we end up where we need to be. Um, well, I guess when you think about it, politics is like a sausage in that too much of it uh, will make you feel sick. Uh, <laughs> if it's made with low-grade ingredients, it can go right through you. <laughs> and the profits largely go to big businesses. And also it's best to cover up the true flavour and ingredients if you possibly f***ing can. This is one of the interesting interesting differences between them. Hillary Clinton has tried to tried to kind of, kind of show America in a positive light, saying you know things are going all right and we can make them better. And Donald Trump has basically been saying to America, "You are fucking shit. We are all shit, and I'm going to make us less shit by uh, I'm not going to fill in the details on how to do that, but I'm just going to tell you this country has gone to the dogs. This, I mean, this, that's kind of bizarre. It's like a football manager basically right, right. coming in and saying. All my players are shit. I need a whole load of new signings. And yet, ironically, Trump is massively against immigration. <laughs> it, it, I was also thinking about how ironic it is that he's he's so uh, against immigration and specifically uh, that his feelings about Mexicans, right? Uh, because basically he's accusing Mexicans of being everything that he may very well be. <laughs> Is he Mexican? Is right. he is he sta- saying he's Mexican, or does he not understand irony? Uh, I think, I mean, possibly both. Ah, uh, yeah, you never know. You know, there there's no I in nuance, <laughs> Andy. So that man has no use for it. Testify. <laughs> news now and you're not the only one with a birthday around here Hari on this planet uh, next year will be the 100th anniversary of uh, Finland as a nation since it became independent from uh, Russia in 1917 and uh, some people in Norway came up with a plan to uh, as a 100th birthday present for their neighbours in Finland to give them the top of a mountain uh, the uh, Mount Halti uh, the peak is currently on the Norwegian side of the border and there was decided they could give, as a as a gesture of goodwill, a little bit of a mountain That's that a- would become Finland's highest mountain at a pitiful one thousand three hundred eighty five meters high. It's it's appropriate. Uh, Hundred is the mountain anniversary. Yeah, good point. That's right. One is paper. <laughs> I believe is fifty gold. So hundred would be mountain. That's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think on current form. Queen Elizabeth II is heading towards being the first monarch to have a mountain jubilee. <laughs> I don't think she will ever die. There's no physical way she can ever die. Poor Charles. <laughs> um, it's an extraordinary story, this. Uh, Norway has rejected this plan, though. Uh, 
the Prime Minister, Erna Solberg, uh, said that um, she had to turn down the idea because the con- country's Norway's constitution prohibits any sacrifice of Norwegian territory. Now, I mean, this is, they're talking about 0.015 square kilometres out of 385,000 square kilometres of Norway. That is slightly less than one twenty-five millionth of Norway. It's not exactly the Louisiana fucking purchase, is it? <laughs> they can, you can, you can get, you can give away less, uh, one and a half percent of a square kilometre, Norway. Surely, it's a gesture. They're worried about the complex legal issues that arise. But again, it's part of a mountain. We're not talking about India and Pakistan and the Kashmir. <laughs> it's not like we're talking about the complicated issues with a land or sea. Uh, border. We're talking about a piece of a mountain, which no one's using. No. Who's using it? I, I didn't read anything about it being used for any purpose. No, I mean, not even mountaineers. I mean, it didn't look even like a particularly difficult mountain to climb. No. No. It's a hill, basically. I guess the problem is, as soon as Norway shows any sign of generosity and or weakness, and in today's politics, those two things are one and the same, all the other countries in the world will be lining up, queuing up for a free bit of Norway, and before you know it, Oslo will be in Mozambique. <laughs> and there will be two billion Syrians living on an iceberg off the coast of Spitsbergen. So they they can't afford to open that door. That doesn't sound bad to me, actually. That <laughs> seems like a solution to a lot of different things. And good on Mozambique. It's about time they got some more yeah. land in, in in Europe, nonetheless. King Charles II of England, when he married, uh, I believe it was Catherine of Braganza, uh, they were given as a wedding gift Bombay. The uh, ah. the city of Bombay. I mean, it wasn't quite what it is today. Right, but, um, right. I think I'm right in saying they were basically given that as a wedding present. Oh. Uh, in the way that, you know, people tended to give parts of the world that weren't necessarily theirs to give in those I, days. I think we should probably uh, check the uh, license number on the back of it, because I don't think Bombay was theirs. I think it was <laughs> potentially, it was a stolen good. All right. Yeah. Uh, um, Finland, 100th anniversary of his independence from Russia. So, um, just a word of warning, Finland, keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. If <laughs> Russia remembers you used to be a bit of it, I'm just saying, keep stuck. Do not draw attention to the fact that that is your 100th anniversary of independence from Russia. Just, we've seen, anyway, uh, don't give Putin a pretext. That's what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, but it's very tough. I mean, the, uh, the, the Statue of Liberty was, uh, was essentially a 100th birthday present. From France to America, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, she's uh, and Britain at the same time. Our oh, very generous gift was to lend a copy of the Magna Carta to America. <laughs> lend, not give, just lend. And the French gave you a thirty-eight high meter big bronze babe. So right, that's supposed to represent. Uh... Freedom and liberty and opportunity, and is clearly now just symbolic <laughs> for both countries. Have you actually seen what this mountain looks like? It looks. It is kind of. It's a shit-looking mountain. Isn't it, it looks yeah. fucking shit. <laughs> it is. It's not even tall. It's right. kind of flat. The top of the mountain. It's a flat. It's just like got a, it's a plateau. Yeah. Here's a plateau for your hundreds. Let Finland have it. Bugle feature section now, the sharing economy. Well, the sharing economy is all the rage these days, and there's some exciting new launches uh, that we'd like to bring your attention to here on the Bugle of apps that could change the way we live our day-to-day lives, following hot on the heels of the uh, 
likes of wildly successful, definitely not a taxi service, Uber, which pairs up people who want to share a lift somewhere with drivers who just happen to be cruising around, going to loads of different places for sometimes 10 to 12 hours a day because they love sharing so much. And wildly successful Airbnb, which enables people who want to share their houses, apartments, and uh, in at least one case, in my recent experience here in America, their psychotic devil cat with people who need somewhere to stay or a psychotic devil cat to keep them up all night by jumping on their bed at 4am and just generally channeling the spirit of Beelzebub in their psychotic devil cat eyes um, there's more more coming out these are all the race now Harry they're changing the way we live uh, new one just to, about to be launched uh, Foster Roster um, do you have children finding them a little bit annoying want some of your old freedom back well you're not alone it's the 21st century after all and Foster Roster pairs you up with parents uh, in a similarly regretful boat so you can share the burden sorry joy of parenthoods <laughs> but still live life as if the little bastards had never sorry the little bundles of joyous love had never happened Foster Roster lets you take over each other's kids for anywhere between one month and five years whilst you travel the world, go large on nightlife and or just sleep properly before returning the favour for an agreed period of equal parenting value. So, for example, you could have someone else's kids from the age of six to 11 in exchange for them having yours for one nightmare pubescent teenage summer holiday. So, um, <laughs> all exciting stuff. Exciting stuff, Harry. I had some ideas for apps. I haven't named them yet. But um, if, could I share yeah, them with you? Yeah, please do. Well, one, I'd, I'd like an app uh, that brings me coffee from the coffee shop that's downstairs. Right. And so the app, what the app would do is um, if, if people want to bring me coffee, they, they find out if I'm available for drinking coffee and then they go get it for me. Right. <laughs> so it's a different kind of... It's an interesting twist on so it. So it's, it? it's about giving services. Right. It's like a sharing in terms of I don't share anything, but, but I have. You share your gratitude. Yes. That's and people get a nice warm glow inside. Yes. That's and, good. And then another app idea I had um, was uh, for cuddling. Like, let's say you're alone and you need a cuddle, and you find out who else is feeling really alone and need a, needs a cuddle, and then uh, you know right. you and you. What what could no. possibly go wrong with that? No, no. So <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think the fear is potentially uh, the fear of uh, that. Oh, is this a really an app for sex work? That's it's posing right as a cuddle app, and the answer is no. Right. And as long as you say it's no, yeah. And in this fear of industry, it's no. No, we've learned that. Sport. Or, for the American audience, sports. Harry, Harry, you've not even been on this podcast for a whole episode yet. I'm trying to get you you a new demographic. Linguistic bullshit. I need. On day one. We have to expand, Andy. If you have me on, we're going to expand. People are going to like sport. What is this? Sport. Maths. Plural for maths, (laughs) where there's one math. But sport, which there are many, is singular. Come on, Andy. It was bad enough when John Oliver started saying gotten. Oh. And Andy, we're in the new world now. Come on. Okay, right. The big, one of the big stories over the last uh, month or two in America has been uh, the Colin Kaepernick story, the American football player who refuses to stand during the national anthem, which is played before every football game, um, and I think almost every sporting event, um, because uh, it's a protest against uh, it's a protest against police brutality. Um, but also at its core about inequality and justice as a whole, but definitely the focus being police brutality. Some people have joined in. A lot of people have not liked his choice. So his refusal to 
uh, sad during the national anthem, I think um, at its core is about inequality and racial injustice. But, you know, specifically, it has been focused on police brutality um, and the killing of innocent people by the police uh, in this country, uh, killing of black people. And, you know, it's gotten it's been a firestorm. A lot of people have liked it. A lot of people have not liked it. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the very popular liberal Supreme Court justice weighed in and surprisingly said that what he was doing was stupid. And uh, she did not like that, Uh, which was very upsetting because people love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and you wouldn't have expected uh, her to say a thing like that in response to a peaceful protest. And then uh, several days later, apparently she released a statement saying that she actually didn't know the details of what was happening and uh, made her judgment... Uh, without knowing all the facts, which one is upsetting because she is a Supreme Court justice, but two is kind of nice because it proves that Supreme Court justices are just like us. They 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 mouth off without knowing all the facts. They they don't always uh you know think things through. They like to talk. People like to talk, even if they have nothing to say. They just like to talk. And so there was something both uh, really uh, frustrating, but also kind of. Wonderful in that. Right. I mean, was she, did, do you think she weighed in just because she's disappointed with Kaepernick's form over the last last couple of years or so? I, yeah, I think that was the fan in her coming right. out. Yeah. The part of her that was like, hey, you know, you're, you're not starting right now. Uh, I don't see you uh, helping this team win. Yeah. And more than someone who believes in justice, <laughs> I believe in the game of American football. That brings us towards the end of this first bugle of Phase 2 horror. It's been a delight it having is. you on the show. Thank you uh, for, for, for I was going to say for honouring me, but I do feel honoured to be on the show, and I just hope that I, I you know, I could, I just hope I, that I, I, I do John's part as well as John did. I don't want to be the Timothy Hutton of this situation, or a George Lazenby, which you can't even remember he was Bond. Right. Um, uh, Timothy Dalton. Oh my God! Imagine if it was Timothy Hutton. I don't know. Yep. That's how much I. That's how much I forgot. Right. How irrelevant Timothy Dalton is to me <laughs> that I called him Timothy Hutton. Right. Zing. Yeah. Um, uh, so you'll be back uh, for our episode on recording on the tenth of November. That will be our post-election bagging and labeling of whatever. We might happened. have to do that remotely, depending on what country I decide to move to. Okay. Or I might be here. In the meantime, where can people see and hear you? Yes, uh, well, I have a podcast uh, that is not this one. Right. Uh, with uh, the great comedian W. Kamau Bell called Politically Reactive, which is every week through the election, and you can go to politicallyreactive.com. I have an album, Mainstream American Comic, which you can get on the internet. And uh, I'll be touring around the United States. I'm in Philadelphia, October 30th, Toronto, November 4th, New York City, November 5th, Pittsburgh, November 6th, and many other dates. Uh, and when you can get that information on hurrykundabolu.com, or more realistically, you would have to Google hurry and then type in something that sounds like Kundabolu, <laughs> and then Google would tell you, did you mean this? And then you would click that and get the dates. But either way... They'll find it somehow. They'll find it. Uh, well, we'll look forward to speaking to you again in uh, a few weeks' time. Um, a quick word for Radiotopia. They uh, are new... Uh, hosts, is that right? The right term. Our partners uh, in the the phase two of uh, of the the bugle. Um, do buddies. help radio to. Sorry, buddies. 
This is a suggestion. Please, Chris, that Just is a not suggestion. a term that I'm prepared to go to at this early stage. <laughs> but, you know, if that's if that's the official language that Radiotopia have asked for, then I guess we've just got to go with it. Um, they uh, do help Radiotopia support the best in the independent producers out there. They uh, have their annual um, drive to... Uh, well, they have their annual fundraising drive to enable their listeners to show their love and support for their shows. Uh, that ends on the 28th of October... Um, but if you want to be involved in that and support the uh, wonderful stable of podcasts at Radiotopia, go to radiotopia.fm uh, to donate. There's a little video there as well, which has uh, a mention of the Bugle joining the stable. Uh, if you want to be associated with the Bugle as a sponsor or advertiser uh, in our new incarnation, do email sponsor at radiotopia.fm. I'll be back next week when I'll be back in London with the wonderful Nish Kumar to look at what has happened politically on the other side of the Atlantic. It has been a hard, hard year for democracy. Uh, Harry, once again, thanks for joining us. Thank and, you, And uh, Buglers, uh, it's been great being back. Until next week, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.